Hello and welcome to The Road Less Travelled, sharing quirky stories from inspiring people. Join your host, Charlie Hyde, as she talks to a range of wonderful guests who aren't afraid to be a little bit different. Sean, welcome to The Road Less Travelled. It is a true honour and pleasure to have you here chatting today. Um, you have such a varied and exciting career and I feel like you very much embody the road less travelled. Um, we mm. actually met because we started talking about fintech and I think we're going to talk about a lot about this in the in the podcast but um, you've got a kind of unconventional journey into into fintech and kind of through through your career um so if i tried to introduce you i'd do you a disservice so um (laughs) could you (laughs) would you like to tell me uh the viewers if you're listening on watching on youtube or the listeners if you're listening to spotify uh what about you sure yeah well thanks for having me on charlotte and and glad to give you a little background uh, my background and then the background on, on my platform ticker but yeah like you said my background is very unconventional like I'm in this finance space, yet I do not have a finance degree. Mm. And I'll go back to college. I actually, uh, or even high school, we'll try to make this story is somewhat, uh, it can be long, but I'll make it nice and short and sweet to the point. But I took classes in high school that were related to architecture was actually out of Mm -hmm. all my educational career, if you call it that, the only classes I enjoyed because I was not a good student. I hate sitting in class, staring forward, being obedient and listening. Like I have to be doing, right? And I did find architectural classes where it was pretty technical with computers. And I found I was good at that. And and there was a home builder in my small town who came to my professor and said, hey, I don't want to hire an architect to work on my personal home. I'm wondering if one of your students could help me along the way. And the teacher was, he called me Tep. He's like, Tep's on it. He's your guy. (laughs) So he put me on the job and I actually didn't have to attend class the whole final semester of my senior year of school. And I got an A, right? This was a win-win. It was like real world experience as an architect and got to work on this home. This home was sizable. It was like nine bedroom, eight bathroom or something like that. Um, he, He was like a third generation home builder, but it was really cool. And I knew that, okay, I have a path forward. I want to be an architect. So I go to school, university, architecture school. Problem is you, I get into school and they have um, no classes on computers. It's all on theory and history and then model building and drawing. And I remember one day, this is where the rubber really met the road. I walk into this large hall where everybody has got their own little booth and they can set up their model. And I see like the Taj Mahal and the White House and all these beautiful structures. And then there's my building, which is a very simple home. Mm -hmm. And that's when the professor said, this is the moment where you should realize where you're at. The top 10% of people in architecture class are the ones who will find jobs. Everybody else will not. And I knew at that point Mm -hmm. I was in I was the bottom 10% <laughs> for sure. I, I, I left architecture school, switched to fine arts. Just, mm-hmm. I have an interest in film and video and, and there's a creative side to me as well. Just, and it was a pretty easy degree to get from university school and I got done with that, worked for an agency for one year after school, figured out I could do, totally do this business on my own because I wanted to be a business owner and essentially created a business that's creating websites and video yeah. and and this was like between 2006 and 2010. 
I didn't make any money those years, like, because mm-hmm. I had employees and high costs and the recession created um, uh, tight budgets for small business owners, especially. So um, on the flip side of that, I learned a ton about businesses, how they scale, what's a mm-hmm. scalable business, what's not. We did grow a little bit in the final year. We, we grew by a pretty significant amount. And I went through a merger, which was exciting. Mm. And um, it wasn't like a big liquidity event, like, hey, here's a bunch of money. It was it was essentially all debts and liabilities wiped clean. And I had a, a fresh start. Yeah. Um, so that's when I, I knew like the type of business model I wanted created is SaaS, software as a service. I didn't have any ideas. So the last 10 years, I essentially been working for large businesses, including yeah. GE. And yeah, I, I started investing. That's one of my investing passion kind of peaked. I'm like, you know, working for a paycheck isn't going to cut it. You have to create leveraged income and use compound yes. interest in your favor. And um, that led to some angel investing, which I didn't have any big wins there. But then I turned my attention to the public market, the stock mm-hmm. market. And this kind of leads to Ticker's background. If you're interested, I could tell that real quick. 100%. Um, yeah. So with, with, investing like guys like Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger, they have made comments that they could make consistent returns between 15 on up to 50% per year if they were just managing their own money. And I knew that these guys are not gambling men. They don't use Mm -hmm. feelings. They don't use emotions, right? Which told me they're using some foundation of logic to get these type of returns. And me, my background, essentially 15 years in software engineering, is telling me they're using some sort of math. So I Mm -hmm. sought out on this journey to discover what that math is. I read as many books as I could, deep dive YouTube, and I found a lot of stuff that does not work. But thanks to a guy by the name of Phil Town, he wrote a few books, two of which are called Rule One. Another one is called Payback Time. And about 70% of the math that's in ticker came from him. So I gotta Mm -hmm. give him credit. And I put everything together in Excel, started testing, you know, different algorithms and and formulas and really how do I remove emotions from investing and allow the math to make decisions for me so I know what's a good stock and what's not a good stock. So so over the course of four years, I used this Excel sheet and my returns were always consistently between 15 and 50%. In fact, one year was a little more. And I knew I had something at that point. So I started talking to retail investors, institutions, this is 2019, and and showed them this tool. And the common question was, hey, when are you going to turn this into a software so other people can use it? So so I'm like, exactly. All right. I think I've got my business idea now 10 years later, close to, let's do this. So it took about a, uh, a year to build the first version that brought us to 2020. And then, um, we're now live just over a year and a half and we have about uh, 3,500 customers now globally. Wow. I think as you, as you talk through your story, I think for me, you are the epitome of an entrepreneur in the sense that you've got this creative streak in you, but then what you have the ability to do is apply the logic to the creativity Mm -hmm. to then drive it through. Because I think there are lots of people like, I want to run a business or I want to, be in fintech and they're either super super creative and they've got all the ideas but then struggle to put it into into reality i probably put myself in that camp if i'm perfectly honest but then you you've then got or you get people who are super super logical 
and if they had someone providing the creative idea would be the perfect perfect technical co-founder but you've you've got the balance of the two and what I like Mm -hmm. about your story is how you've kind of used the creativity to sort of flow throughout the years just to come Mm -hmm. up with those different those different um ideas right when you were sitting in college doing your fine arts degree (laughs) if you had said to yourself the year is 2022 and i'm going to own a trading like an investment platform with 3500 users globally and i've only been trading for 18 months as in um the company trading for 18 months yeah yeah is that where you thought you'd be Oh my gosh, no. <laughs> where did no you think way. where did you think you would be? Well, with fine arts, you have you have a few options. And I had an emphasis on film. And I actually I was considering the route of going into movies and yeah. potentially directing, but I always had a, a passion for writing, so screenplay mm-hmm. writing. And I found that it was actually my senior years. A, a, a guy came from Hollywood to do a presentation to a bunch of film students said, Hey you got to set expectations here. The next 15 to 20 years, you're going to work in this industry and make no money. And I, I was not, I'm like, ah, that's quite a sacrifice. I want, <laughs> I want to, I want to do things. I want to travel. Yeah. So the fallback were ad agencies. There are literally yeah. ad agencies and marketing firms in every major city. And it's a very easy business model to start because it's a service model. Um, so I'm like, I'm going to do that. I can stay in, I live in Milwaukee area so I can get a job that way. So, so yeah, that was what I thought I was going to do. And, um, I got it. I'll keep this short, but when I got into the agency world, I realized that I had a real passion for tech, like software. And I, I knew that's where everything is going. This is like 2006. I'm like, tech is where you want to be. Tech jobs Mm -hmm. traditionally pay better, but you look at tech businesses, they scale a lot faster as well. And I'm like, part of me is like, I should have went to school for computer science, but it is what it is. So <laughs> actually, that's a really interesting point because I have this debate with people all the time. Um, for me personally, I am 100% experience over qualification because yeah. you can have a qualification and actually when you come to do it rubbish, right? You get loads of people who yep. can pass their driving theory tests with their eyes closed, but then they drive on the road and they're, they're horrendous, dangerous. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Whereas you can get a brilliant driver who just really struggles with their theory test. And I guess finance um, and fintech is a bit of an elite or can be a bit of an elitist space. Right. And it can very much be, you know, oh yeah, I've got a computer science degree or uh, I'm, I am a, fin- like a finance expert. One of the things right. they really like about how you brand ticker is you're very open in your your website that you have this varied experience have you ever found that um because you don't have an economics degree or you haven't worked Mm -hmm. for a bank for 20 years uh or whatever have you ever found that to be a challenge when you've been trying to create a business in this space i by the way i i love this question and this this is where there may be some contention out there. No offense yeah. to anybody who, who did go to a top tier school and get a finance or economics degree. The problem I see with a lot of people in finance, and this is pretty consistent, is they look at the stock. They don't look at the business. Mm-hmm. You know, if I go to these people and I tell them, well, tell me about this, this business. Well, what they'll do is they'll start talking about PDE ratios and market <laughs> cap and all this complex data, but they cannot tell me 
what products or services they sell, how do they sell them, how do they market, how do they streamline operations. And I look back at what I've done, I would like right now, I, my consistent returns in the market are, they're over 50% mm -hmm. consistently. And most people can't do that, but I attest that to the business experience, especially those first four years, yeah. four or five years is, is I worked with that agency I had, we worked with about 400 businesses. Mm -hmm. And as it, you, I mean, from service businesses to manufacturing, to online, to e-commerce, um, and, and able to quickly understand how these businesses operate. Well, after that merger, I got to work 10 solid years in big business. And I love going to these people in finance. And I'm like, if I were to give you a million dollar budget, would you know how to execute a project that has a 400% ROI in the same year? And, and none of these people can answer that question because they've never run big business before. They've never worked in project management, program management, director level, VP level. They've been literally sitting in finance, analyzing stock data. That is, in honest opinion, it's mostly noise they're looking mm. at. They're not looking yeah. at the business and how it operates. So with Ticker, I'll keep this short, is yeah, we start with the numbers to know if the fundamentals of the business are good, but you should yeah. never stop there. You got to look past the numbers and look at the meaning type of business model, the moat, which is the competitive advantage, and then the, the management, who's the CEO, how do they run the yeah. business? Do they have a good track yeah. record? So those things you can't, you can't calculate. Yeah, and I think, um, I think this is really interesting because you get people who say, um, okay, I've done my own business or I've done something mm -hmm. for a certain amount of time and now I want to do something else. I'm going to have to reinvent myself. I'm going to pretend that that stuff never happened. But what you're saying, which is I, I wholeheartedly subscribe to this theory as well, is you don't reinvent yourself. You take the bits from there that are useful and they're often the ones you least expect and you apply them here. And I think exactly like you're saying, right, is it's all very well being able to look at the numbers. And there's a place for that. There, there definitely right. is. But if you can't then interpret it, it, in consulting, you hear all the time, like the so what, what's the so what? But if you don't really mm -hmm. understand how to run a business or the different components of business and how they all hang together, then right. what that number there might mean for that number there in that bit of the business, then you are almost kind of doing, trying to do it with one hand tied behind your back or mm -hmm. try, half, blind, half blindfolded going, well, it sort of looks like it's something like that. But actually, if you can bring all these things together, you can basically interpret the data and, and find the BS <laughs> or yeah. the incredible yeah. opportunity. And, and that is, that's where the secret is, right? Right, right. It is, it's, it's a combination of the two. And, and I've always had kind of a nice balance between the logic and the creative. Mm. I never really leaned into the logic. I always leaned into the creative at a young age, like high school, college, and, and through my 20s. And then I started to realize, well, that's my passion. Don't don't hinder that. And, and it's been fun kind of balancing the both, but it's nice. Start with the numbers first. It's probably, you know, that 80, 20 rule, like that's yep. the 20% you start there, then the other 80%. All right, let's look at the business. Mm -hmm. How does this thing operate and scale? And is it a good investment? And I've, I've seen some of how you, you express the analysis um, on ticker and it's, it's, mm -hmm beautifully written I, I could show this uh to my mum who doesn't know a huge amount about stock market i know she listens hi mum but uh, i could show this to my mum and she would be able to read that 
like a that's my gran right and she could read that and understand sure. what's written and i think one thing where there's often been a gap in not just fintech but in the whole retail investment space is it can be very elitist language um, and, yeah. and it's often this kind of secret well if you don't know the language then this world's not for you are you sure it's for you but then if most of it's really founded on reading into numbers that kind of not actually that helpful then no. really what what is anybody actually achieving other than pretending they're part of an elitist club like mm-hmm. that's rubbish right so how have you found your like, passion for writing and that creativity how, how have you found that to influence how you do things in ticker because you 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 appeal to it to retail investors especially like people learning getting into investing mm-hmm. you make it very accessible how have you found that that streak of you to be beneficial in ticker? Well, I look at the the pain of getting into tech, you know, going yeah. back 15 years. And I actually started to teach myself how to code and things were a little chaotic mm-hmm. back then. YouTube wasn't as popular. Um, so I'm trying different tutorial sites. And then, you know, getting into finance, th- like these people don't get education. Like, mm-hmm. and I'll run into, and I joke about this, you ever run into a just this guy? There's always a just this, it's just brain surgery. You open up the head, pop up the brain, and there you go. Right. It's easy. You know, I'll, I'll get, I'll get friends that'll be like, oh, you're doing your basement, like redoing your basement. Oh, you just got to, you know, put up this wall and do this. I'm like, you gave me two steps. There are 200 <laughs> steps you're missing in the process. And I find that with the two major issues is people are missing steps in the process. And two is they're not simplifying it. They're not making it easy to understand. And the, and it's blown my mind. The majority of my career is most people don't simplify education. So I told myself with ticker, we, we have to execute on both. We have to, every step has to be out there and it's got to be super easy. And if you can do those two things with education, um, in my opinion, you got yourself a, a good product. Yeah, I, I agree because I feel like, as you say, Tika's got these these two identities. One is very much about the, the investing and mm-hmm. the actual act of investing and the returns and, and, and that kind of, right. it, let's be blunt, right? The financial reward of it because that's fundamentally why people invest. Um, but you've also got this, this education phase being like, I'm not just going to tell you to stick money in whatever because that's the zeitgeist of the moment and that's what all Mm -hmm. the fad is it's it's taking that apart and saying okay have you really looked at the what the business model is have you really understood what the business model is in the context of everything else that's around it okay now you've got this information you can make an informed decision whether it's something how you want to act on that right right yeah it's I had a customer tell me once, you know, you, you've heard the, um, the old parable, which is, you know, you fish for a man, you feed him for a day, yeah. teach a man to fish, feed him for life. Well, she actually said, and she's out of uh, Japan, she said, you actually give people the fishing pole. Mm, and I'm like, that, that that was a really, that was a light bulb moment. Um, Got to give a shout out to her, Stephanie is her name. <laughs> Um, we've got a lot of cool customers, but, um, it's, it's interesting. Like, yes, we want to give people the tool, but we want to arm them with the knowledge yes. that they can law, lo- they can literally walk into a room with people and they, they could go to a Facebook group and they are positioned as the expert. We want our customers to feel that way. They could have yeah. no background in finance, but yet they can 
beat the market consistently mm-hmm. and those finance bros, I call them. Yeah. yeah. Are, <laughs> we don't know con- who they are. <laughs> oh, condescending. And they're the experts. Um, you know, they're the ones that they're this all this noise and using $20 words in their language mm-hmm. that this newbie can beat them every year consistently. Yeah. Um, oh, yes. I did the pause out because I remember that. So obviously you've been doing amazing things in, in Ticker and how you've, how you've grown it. Now, what might surprise people listening or watching is that you're actually working a full-time job whilst you're, yes. whilst you're doing this. Um, how have you found, we'll talk about work-life balance as well, but how have you actually found working the full-time job to, to help you in Ticker? Because, I mean, from my experience, like I obviously, you know me through my, through my fintech startup and yep. I find that uh, having my full-time job and having a startup actually the two things are really symbiotic like I can really learn things mm. in one that I can apply to the other do you do you find something similar I think that with with whatever full-time job you you do and I, I tell people this if you're working and you just go out there to learn your job you are failing you need to look past your job and you need to learn the business. So one thing is when I started working for bigger businesses, you don't want to be a spy. That's not the right word, but you kind of want to be a chameleon and Mm -hmm. you want to ask questions like how are contracts written? How are these proposals written? How do you negotiate? How are these projects executed? And just play curious, George, you're referring to the childhood book. And and in some cases you're going to play dumb. And in some cases you're going to be talked down to or condescended and and you just got to take it in stride and realize that I'm not staying here. I am learning how yes. to run this type of business. So I found if you can have that attitude every day, like if you don't like your job, you know, I, I mean, I have to admit, I never loved working for corporate jobs. Never. I'm just like, yeah. I didn't have a business idea that I really wanted to start. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to IT jobs, but it's always been what gets me out of bed is like, okay. Let's get in there and let's learn something new about the company. Mm. How does it run? So that does help build Ticker now with that whole bootstrapping aspect of Ticker to give you a lay of the land here. Ticker is more than just me. I've got an amazing team. I've got our CTO is Elgar. I've got Rule, who is our CMO. And um, we're headquartered out of the Netherlands. We're not actually headquartered out of the States. So there are better tax and legal benefits mm-hmm. by being headquartered in the Netherlands. Nice. Um, and then we, we've got uh, another PM, Masi is his name. And then we've got a great uh, dev team out of India who's led by Natash. And a great, great group of guys. I got the podcast team as well. Ricardo, who's our editor, and then Jabril, who's our uh, promoter. So we got a solid team. We're global, but we're all literally like bootstrapping ticker. We all have yeah, jobs. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and what we're looking at is the reoccurring revenue of ticker. Mm-hmm. It's, it's increasing, but to d- reduce risk on the business, every dollar that's made, we're just reinvesting back into the business. So we know yeah. this delayed gratification is going to pay off at some point. Yeah. Um, it's just a, it's a test of humility <laughs> a, a lot of days because the priority is always the, the full-time employer. And how do you how do you find balancing the two? Because I hear this all the time where people are like, oh yeah, everyone mm. to do this business. So I've got this kind of got this business idea, but then people never take it the next step. They're oh yeah, because I'm working my job. And 
how how have you found balancing the two because let's be honest you know if you've worked a full day your energy is pretty sapped by the end of the day yeah how do you find that kind of extra reserve to tap into fortunately this goes back to college i I actually went to school full time, although it wasn't like an engineering degree, so it wasn't as labor intensive to go to fine art school. Um, I would go to classes in the morning and I would work eight hours a, a second yeah. shift. I worked for the hotel industry just doing security. Great, great college job, but I worked 40 hours a week with, yeah. with full time school. And that got me in this discipline like most people have more time in their day than they really think, yes. given. Some jobs out there are not eight hours. I know your background is Accenture, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, management consulting, the pressure cooker, right? That's the one. (laughs) (laughs) They can push you 12 hours a day. But if you can find time to get your eight hours of sleep and you've got your work day, there is time in there where you can can compress the time and and get stuff done. So I'm, I'm pretty good about like, I give a shout out to my dad on this one. He always talked about the rule of do that, which generates revenue first. Yes. So whatever's going to move the needle of revenue, you should be doing that. Because I see a lot of business owners or entrepreneurs, they spend their time in minutiae, doing things that produce produce no revenue. And you have to step back and be like, why am I doing this? Yes. (laughs) So. So I, I immediately do the things that are going to produce revenue and only that. And some days I only get like two or three hours of work in, but mm-hmm. I've accepted it for what it is. Yes. That's, that's the best I can do. Yeah. And I think, um, I think that's such an important thing because it's easy to get caught up in the cycle of busy work. And if people are listening mm-hmm. who are entrepreneurs or are in corporate jobs or whatever, actually it's the same principle, which is we get hooked in, like I'm going to, make this thing look perfect or I'm gonna make sure this font is all this tiny size or whatever but really it's about looking at at value someone once gave me some some advice on writing a to-do list right you can just watch your to-do list grow but next to every item don't just write what it is write why you're doing it and as soon as you articulate that you already know where, where your priorities are. Now, if you're an entrepreneur like, like you are and, mm-hmm. you know, like, like I am as well, you, you know that anything that has, because this will make, the fir- like, will make my company or will make me money, like you yep. know that's, that's automatically number one. Obviously, in the corporate world, it doesn't quite work quite the same, but mm-hmm. the principle is the same. Do the thing that adds the most value first. So if you don't yep. get everything done, it's okay. You can be at peace with that and still get your eight hours of sleep. Because you're not worrying, yep. going, oh, I didn't do this other thing. Who cares? It wasn't a value add. So you're just not going to do it. <laughs> I love that. Add the why to it. And I, I found that too, as I used to there, I've, I've had this in waves where you can dwell on things that you need to get done. And I would lose sleep on that. Yes. And I keep a notepad next to my bed. And before mm-hmm. I go to bed, I will literally write down, I will get it out of my head, get it on paper. of like, what is the highest value add that I need to do tomorrow? And, yes. and shut that book and I'm done and I'll get my eight hours. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think it's so true. And I think we also get stuck in this idea of, of busy work. I think yes. there's this idea of like mobilizing being busy, but actually where is that busyness taking you? And when you are very time poor, which you, you're going to be if you're working a full-time job and trying to you know, set up a mm-hmm. new business or scale a business or grow the business, you can't afford to be messing around with like, fake work right it's all about fake news but fake work you know busy work it just can't afford to happen so yeah having that that ruthless 
uh, view yes. on what is value add and what's not is so, so important. Stay, stay laser focused on what you need to do and, and have, you know, let go of control is one thing like yeah. let go of control. You can't control it. You're, you know, I'm, I'm a bootstrapping situation. So there's only a few hours of the day I can work yeah. and I've, I've accepted that, you know, and then in the next stage, just every little movement I do every day is compound interest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Moving in the right direction. I think there's this balance between when you talk about being, being laser focused, but also being able to step back and look at, look at the bigger picture. And yeah. I think it also makes me think about when you talk about earlier in your career, where you, you said, you know, you, you did an architecture degree and well, you started an architecture degree and then you realized mm-hmm. it's, it's not for you. And you kind of had the agency and maybe financially it wasn't the most, uh, wasn't the, the prize winning million dollar, billion right. dollar, whatever. But, you know, then, then the merger came and like you've had lots of kind of big shifts in your in your life. And sometimes people can get stuck in that, that laser focus that stops them then being able to see the bigger picture to make the right decision. For you, how did you know that this was the right time to make this big shift? What signaled it for you? A great. Another great question. So when I this will give you context to my psychology with that agency is when those four years went by. I was actually really upset at myself because it felt like a huge opportunity cost or, or loss yeah. situation is I was watching friends who worked in great careers, very fulfilling, making money, and they've been able to sock away cash. Well, I didn't have anything put away. Yeah. And I, by this point, I was upper 20s and I was really upset. And I told myself I should have made this decision in year one, not year four. Mm. Um, but when I look back, those four years of education were essential because it was, again, yeah. the 400 businesses that we, we were able to serve and analyze and, and really understand how they operate. So, so it's interesting with the pivot points in life. I know it can be fearful and there can be mm. pain, but I, I just, I don't know what it is that just moved me to be like, it's, I have this now or never mentality sometimes. Like yeah. You got to act now, Sean, or it's never. Yeah. Like strike while the iron is hot, it's go time, do it. And I can get in those modes that I will do that. I, I grew up an athlete and sometimes that persona in me will come out like you get, it's now Sean, now. Yeah. So I, I will self-motivate that way. And when you've got this little feeling like, you know, maybe you should act on it. I, I tell other people to just take action. And do you feel, I mean, it's interesting because you said that, you know, you had the four years and it didn't sort of mm-hmm. pay off immediately. But I guess when I, the way I'm looking at it is you had these, these four years, but in a way they were the training for your investing times so in a way they did end up paying, but they paid later in a way that was completely unexpected and completely, completely different. It exactly the, sometimes in life, you know, something will happen to you and you gotta, you gotta kind of change that philosophy and be like, it's happening for you. Like yeah. this is training you, this is making you stronger or wiser for something that's coming down the road. And it, to be at peace in those moments when if you don't like what's happening to you or for you at a given moment, you got to kind of like step back and be like, okay, relax. This is happening for a reason. Okay. Yeah. I need to learn from this. And I've kind of accepted that philosophy working for, you know, corporate America. It's don't always love it, but I'm like, this is not happening to me. This is happening for me. Let's use this to, um, you know, help myself out in some way, shape or form. 
I really like that mentality because I think it also comes back to what we're saying about people who are trying to start something up whilst they're also working full time. So you can say, okay, my corporate job is happening to me, or you say my corporate job is happening for me. And it's if you say it's happening to me, you suck energy out of the situation. But you say it's happening for me, you actually get to the end of the day and you feel empowered to take the next step because you realize, okay. I've learned a thing that I can now take to a different context that's going to add value and coming back yeah. to the priority bit, which thing am I going to do it? Am I going to apply it to? Oh yeah, that thing that I've already identified is going to make money. And so even these like weird and wonderful hops that don't look connected in the first instance mm-hmm. actually are really deeply connected. They are. Yeah, absolutely. And how do you sort of balance Because it's, it, it's sounding to me like you very much are, you've got to you've got a plan for the immediate when something comes you you know how to kind of make the decision take the l make the mm-hmm. decision um how do you sort of balance that between um having a plan like having a vision for the future especially now that you've got ticker and you've got employees you've got a team like you've got to have that vision with also saying i am open to the fact that these things might change and might take a different direction how do you actually mm-hmm. balance those yeah it's it's always a balance like with with creating a business like Ticker, you know, the first step is in the hardest part of any business, like a product business, like a SaaS is product market fit, yeah. finding what people really love. And then they start sharing it with others. They stay a subscriber, you know, um, that's not easy. So it's really focusing on that. But at the same time, having the mindset that we're open to pivot. Like you have to mm-hmm. keep that in mind. There's a lot of businesses that were started. For example, I see your shirt right now, Slack. Yeah. <laughs> I believe the story on Slack was originally um, a component or something for video games. Mm-hmm. And, and it was, there's like a bigger model there, like a video game platform in some way. Well, they found that the chat tool used in the video game system was the the thing that was the thing people loved. So they just pulled that out of the video game system, made it its own platform. I'm, I may be missing a few details in the story, but I know it's something like that, but you got to be open to those pivots. And my team and I, fortunately we're aligned on that. We love ticker, mm-hmm. you know, and if it's not the end all be all thing we're working on, that's fine. You know, we'll yes. go where the, the market demand is. And that's, that's another quick comment too. At the end of the day, it's not us as entrepreneurs. It's really about listening to your customers. What do they yeah. want and go, go solve their problems. That's it. There's a great book on this actually, which um, if anybody is listening and hasn't read it would highly, highly recommend they do. Um, it's called the mum test. And yeah, it's, I just read it. It's so good. It's yes. so good. Uh, if people <laughs> are listening and they don't know what it is, it's basically a book where the guy kind of shows you how to ask questions about your idea for your business in such a way that even your mum couldn't lie to you and tell you it was a good idea just because she loves yes. you. And I think that is so, so, so important because you can often get false positives and false mm-hmm. negatives and like you can just, you can get the wrong impression. So you, you, you have to go where it is. I think anything... I think it, I'm not sure if it's in this book or if it's in the Lean Startup, but it talks about if it, if it doesn't meet that, then it's purely a vanity project. That could be Lean Startup. Yeah, yeah I think it could be that one. But um, mm. wherever it is, I've read it. That basically, if it doesn't truly meet the product market fit, if you've done product market fit correctly and what you're creating doesn't fit it, then either you have to continue going on what you'd originally wanted to create and then you call it a vanity project and you have to be honest with yourself that that's what yeah. it is and that's okay but you have to be honest that it doesn't fit the product market that's it's probably not going to do that well 
right. or you have to pivot and follow the, the product market fit. You nailed it. it and it, it can be tough because some people are, they're emotionally tied to that yeah. thing. You know, it's about separating emotions from, you know, this is where I, I lean on the logic side, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and what a customer really wants. And I, I go back 10 years would have been my upper twenties. You know, I, I had some of that. There's some emotions that would take control, but now it's, it's kind of remove emotions. And mm-hmm. I happen to be creating something I really like, and it's solving a problem. But of course, if my audience wants something different, if we find a different need, we may, may pivot. We'll, we'll see. So. And you say, of course, but I think actually it doesn't come so naturally to, to lots of people. And do you feel like that ability to be able to be a healthy one? So it's not like you don't care about your business, but you can view it with a, um, a, mm-hmm. a, a, a at one remove lens. Do you feel that's something that comes naturally to you or is that something you've had to train your into yourself? I, I had to practice on that. I actually, I've had a few business failures since mm. the, um, the agency merger. Okay. And I, I kind of did them on the side a little bit and they were emotionally driven. Mm. Um, there was one circumstance I'll, I'll tell the story real quick. This was pretty fun actually. It wasn't at the time, but a buddy of mine, we started noticing the problems with Groupon. This was around 2013. Yeah. Groupon, the issue is they would take 50% of the profits on all their the coupons sold mm-hmm. into like a business with really low profit margins, like a restaurant that could be detrimental to sales. They would treat it as a loss leader, meaning they would hope people come in for that initial meal or beer or whatever, but they return later on the pay for yeah. the price, right? <laughs> And we thought of a business, what if businesses paid a subscription fee of like a hundred bucks a month? And then on the flip side, they would keep hundred percent of the profits. And we started sharing this idea with small business owners. And they're like, when is this thing going live? Like we will, they're like, we will start paying now. We started selling, doing pre-sales while building the software. And along the way, this, this is kind of crazy. We get a verbal buyout offer of like 2 million, which we declined because we're dumb. <laughs> <laughs> what are those, uh, oh, I wish if only. I, I know if it would have went to like a boardroom and there would have been discussions around the software and the future of this business, it wouldn't have, there wouldn't have been $2 million. You know, it was, it was, it was a pump in the ego, but that was about it at the time. So we kept driving this thing went live and it was crickets. The reason is a Groupon site is like a marketplace. You have two audiences on the same platform. So you got businesses and you have consumers. Well, we could not find a way to get consumers into the business fast enough to satisfy the business owners. Uh... So, right. So we started talking to venture capitalists all over and they're like, neat idea, problem is you're about four years late to the party because going back- Right. And I, during this time, I was so motivated about this thing, driving it forward where we're going. I quit consulting at that time. Like I cut off my revenue stream and I went like a solid nine months without revenue, just living off savings, getting into debt. Right. And that was, that was super painful, but it was the most important business transition in my life. Cause I had to swallow my pride, go get a, another contract job. And that was the moment like, okay, you're making business decisions based on logic from here on out. 
And that yeah. did bode well for investing because it always leaned to the logic part. And if I didn't have that painful experience, I would not be where I'm at today with business and of course, investing. So, so it's, yeah. it, to answer your question is it's been work. It's been discipline. Yeah. And one thing I, I learned to teach myself is I look at my business. Like I do a hammer. I have no okay. emotion with a hammer sitting in my garage. I look at it as a tool for good or a tool for bad. And that is it. Mm, and if, if it, if something happens to that, that's fine. I'll go get another one. Like that, <laughs> that is literally the way I approach business at this point. And, and it's pretty similar to the stocks I invest in. And like you're, you're providing or, or building my wealth. But if something happens to you, like I, I know when to sell and get out and just mm -hmm. to logically make those decisions along the way. So I think that's really important because I think it's something like 90% of retail investors lose money. And it's mostly yes. because of the emotional element that comes with investing and right. not looking at the bigger picture. You know, things within the day, like within the day, right? It'll fluctuate. Uh, the, the price will, will fluctuate. But if you, every time it goes a little bit negative, even if it's a bit negative, like even if it goes much more negative than you thought it was initially going to, you have to have that control to kind of hold on to it for a bit longer to know when logically yeah. is the right time to get out. But you also have to back yourself. Look, if I've done my research, if I've done my fundamentals, if I truly understand the business model and I understand the direction of the company and I back the CEO and the CEO that are going mm -hmm. anywhere, then I'm going to trust that this is going to change and it's going right. to pick up. And I'm not just going to be frightened by seeing it going down and just yep. oh, hit the edge. No, we can go away. Make the pain go away. It's frightening. It's like somebody. Um, I again, I can't remember where I read this. It's really frustrating. But maybe it was Profit First, another fantastic book which every entrepreneur should read. Um, mm -hmm. uh, I think it was there. He said, um, if you your uh, house price was to go down, you wouldn't immediately just sell your house and move. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> it's the same with investing. Yeah. It is. It really is like investing. The, the biggest challenge for people is it's controlling your emotions. Yeah. You don't have to be an expert at math. It can be far from an expert. In fact, you don't have to have experience running businesses in the past. Mm. It's like you, you just have to really control your emotions. You can you can do very well. Which I think, to be honest, is a pretty good rule for life. If I'm, if I'm honest, yeah, right. if you can <laughs> That's you know, true. If you keep your head, then good things and you don't kind yeah. of react too quickly then then good things good things can come um this is a quick segue but it does relate a little bit but you've seen game of thrones all the way through i've seen some of it not not the whole way through okay i'll, I'll keep this short but there is a particular scene that stands out to me where one of the villains, Joffrey, had recently passed and Tywin Lannister, who's the, the wise grandfather, is speaking to Tomlin, who is the, he was the brother of Joffrey, the younger brother, and he had a much different temperament. He was very calm. He would listen. He was not arrogant. Um, and, and Tywin was educating him on the fact that his temperament is completely different from Joffrey. And if he listens to his advisors, he will do very well. Of course, it, they're, they're, uh, it's Game of Thrones, so people get killed off all the time. Well, his lifespan in the show didn't last very long. <laughs> but it was like, yes, Tomlin was a better 
poised to be a better leader because he was calm in his demeanor and he mm-hmm. had the ability to listen to those that have gone before him, essentially. Anyway, a quick segue, but it relates to if you can control your emotions, you're going to be in a much better spot in life. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think there's a really important difference between saying you have no emotions, be a robot. And that's not what we're saying. But we're no, saying, no. You know, if you can, and this, in fact, it's the opposite, right? You've got to be able to understand your emotions. You've got to really be able to articulate to yourself, what is this thing I'm feeling and why am I feeling like that? And then say, okay, what is the logical step I need to take off the back of that? Mm. And that applies whether you're investing, whether it's deciding whether or not to take that job offer or whether it's starting that sure. business or making the leap or whatever it is. You know, it's it, it ultimately all ties back to that. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Rule for life. Yes, which feels like a really nice kind of circular, circular way to, to round. I guess it's just, just one last question from me, which is what's next for you and Patika? Well, right now we are, we've collected about four and five months of really good feedback from our customers on what direction we need to go, how to add more features. So I'll give a little uh, preview on what's coming with Ticker. So we're adding a portfolio tracker. So you can add your portfolio to Ticker. You can track your returns. You can share it on Facebook and Twitter. So you can share it with others. It will show the percentages. It won't show the dollars. We want to keep dollars Mm -hmm. out of it and just show percentages. And then you have the ability as well to also view other people's portfolios in the tool. And then you can actually follow those portfolios. And when they make changes, like people can follow me. And if I make changes, they can see like, hey, Sean showed or, or sold X amount of shares of Microsoft or PayPal or whatever, or he bought, you know, you get those notifications. So it's, it's what we're doing is we're trying to um, gamify the experience a little bit like fitness apps, like fitness and weight loss is not an instant gratification industry. It's not like, Hey, I'm going to the gym today. and I'm going to lose a bunch of weight tomorrow. It doesn't work that way. (laughs) Got to play the long game. Yeah. You got to play the long game and that's what investing is. And so we'll be doing that um, with the portfolio tracker, those little notifications, little positive, encouraging comments, like stay in the game and the market Mm -hmm. is going down. Are you buying or the market is going up? Are you starting to get rid of your um, your overpriced stocks. And then we'll, um, switching over to education, we're going to be creating educational modules with like gamified little circles, like the, uh, fitness app, the Apple fitness app. Um, but a lot of little fun features to take what these fitness apps are doing and other apps as well that make you want to use it every day and make it more fun. Mm. Um, little educational bits. Cause we've got a lot of great text and thanks for your compliments earlier. Um, we try to write it or I try to write it as, you know, as approachable as possible, but it's still long winded in some parts. So we're going to be doing these, they call it micro learning, like Duolingo. Yep. yep. Cool. Yeah. So Duolingo is what we call best in class from a micro learning app standpoint. So we want to really emulate that but with investing, make it simple, approachable, bite-sized bits that help you stay on track and help you, of course, do very well in the market. Brilliant. And I just love how in that you've basically epitomized everything that the road less traveled is all about, which is you've taken inspiration from the fitness area, which ostensibly is unrelated to finance and yeah. said, look, there's a great parallel here that I can use to help me. You've just done the same with Duolingo. You, you wouldn't necessarily think, ah, oh, Duolingo, that'll help me with my investing. But actually, like you've drawn that parallel and um, what better way to round up a podcast called The Road Less Traveled, <laughs> talking about how completely disparate things actually have a great connection, which is 
exactly what this is all about. So that really tied up very perfectly. Awesome. Sure, it has been such a pleasure to talk to you today. It has been honestly so much fun. I've really, really enjoyed it. I hope you have too. I really appreciate your time. Awesome. Well, thanks for the time, Charlotte. This is great.